Do you love to talk about rescue dogs almost too much? Us too. This is why I created a space where we can celebrate it. This podcast is for those who are passionate about rescue because dogs, whether they're a foster or a new member of your family, they rescue us right back. Each week, we invite a member of the dog rescue community to talk about their passion for rescue dogs and how their life has never been the same. This is Rescue Dog Love, a rescue community podcast. I'm Yamini, and this is my first rescue, Bust. Hello, rescue dog lovers of the internet. Welcome back to the Rescue Dog Love podcast. Thank you all for your support. Today's episode is a sponsored episode. Thank you to our special sponsor, Cabo. Cabo is a Canadian company with a mission to help dogs live healthier, happier, and longer lives. They are a dog subscription service that delivers healthy, pre-proportioned meals right to your door. Today's episode features Dr. Susie, a veterinarian specializing in the connection with dog nutrition and pathology. We start by discussing the importance of introducing fresh foods to your dog's diets, and then we get into the nitty gritty about allergies and what options exist to manage them. Thank you, Cabo, for introducing us. Listen to the end of this episode for a coupon code you can use for your next Cabo purchase if you want to try it out. If you've enjoyed this episode, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We might shout you out at the beginning of an episode. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Hello, Dr. Susie. Welcome to Rescue Dog Love. Well, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. I'm excited to chat with you and definitely excited to hear more about your background as well as share some information about dog diets and nutrition. Always an important topic for most dog-obsessed owners. You bet. It certainly is. Before we get started, I wanted to give you a brief intro and let you introduce yourself. So I understand that you are very passionate about understanding how food influences disease in dogs. So you have an education in vet med and vet pathology, and you have worked in a vet pathology lab for 15 years. You are here on behalf of of Cabo. Before we get into how the Cabo meals work, I would love to hear more just about you, your background, how you got started in your field. Thank you. So I went to vet school wanting to learn more about how to fix dogs and cats, obviously. I also grew up in a family that had a big garden and we grew all kinds of food. So growing up, fresh food was like the best and, you know, learned a lot about how to take care of a garden, prepare food properly. And then moreover, I think felt the health benefits of it. So when I had a family and was feeding my kids, I noticed very quickly that when we took out all processed foods, there were some really nice changes that happened. And I totally felt this was the same for dogs and cats. So it just totally made sense. My training, however, is in vet pathology, right? And as you know, a lot of traditional medical programs don't have a lot of nutrition training. We learn about the extremes, right? Like if you get way too much vitamin D or you get way too much calcium, we learn how to help animals who have these extreme things happen to them. And the same with human doctors too, right? After vet school, I knew I wanted to do pathology. So I did a residency and then I got a job at a lab, worked with lots of scientists and human doctors as well on seeing how diseases work 
looking at treatments, all kinds of things. But the missing thing was always, what's the diet doing? And again, it wasn't unless it was something extreme, like obviously even lab mice, if they eat too much, they become obese and get all kinds of issues, which you know people know about. But there's subtle differences that happen. And it just seemed like there wasn't that much research going into it. And I wanted to know why and what was going on. So as I got more and more into learning about diseases, I on the side just learned and taught myself about nutrition. Um, I eventually found out that vets can do a residency in vet nutrition, but they didn't have that when I was going through vet school. So it just goes to show you that the field of nutrition for humans and animals is growing, like really, really growing. And there's so much more information that we need know about how food, good quality food, healthy ways to prepare it, that all is huge in terms of providing good health outcomes. Then near the end, I got really excited and said, I actually love to work for a dog food company and like make the food. And I started making my own dog treats and selling them. And then I met Vino and VJ, and they were starting Cabo. I think it was around 2018 and things were coming up and all this fresh dog food was coming up. I'm like, this is amazing. Right. Myself growing up when we had dogs, my mom cooked for them. Mm-hmm. And back then, right, there was only like maybe two or three choices of kibble and canned food. There wasn't much. And even back then, I think a lot of people knew this wasn't the best food. That was always in the back of my mind. Anyways, when I started talking to Vino and BJ and they told me their story about how, so they had a dog who became sick at a young age and, you know, they wanted to know why, you know, what happened. They started looking into food and questioning, you know, like I think we're all questioning all this processed, high volume, high produced food that just seems like dry stuff that we don't know what's in it. And they decided to make food and they started making dog food. And then it just turned into this bigger machine where other people wanted it. They were delivering it too, because that's what people wanted as well, Mm -hmm. right? There's this whole convenience thing. And if you can pick stuff online, have it delivered to you. And the other thing it's fresh cooked food that's frozen. So you don't have to cook. I do some nutrition consulting on the side with dog parents. And um, so many people try to cook for their dog and it's great. And there's the best intentions, but it's time consuming. It's a lot of work. And in the end, there's a lot of cost analysis done. It's actually more expensive than buying prepared uh, fresh dog food. So yeah, I love the link you've made from, you know, how we think about healthy humans and how we think about nutrition for ourselves. And I think it makes sense that even, you know, in terms of kind of like you've mentioned, go to the doctor when you're dealing with big symptoms. But now I think a lot of people are more conscious of like, okay, let me work with like a naturopath as well to like think about just like my daily health and just the living comfortably, you know, and like being having energy, having all of these pieces work for me. And then in turn, you look at the dogs with kibble and you are curious, especially when you look at that ingredients list, like what does all this mean? So I do understand, especially now that people really deeply know that they want to have their dogs live a long time, have a comfortable, Mm -hmm. healthy life. That diet is a big part of that because we know it's a big part of it for humans as well. Exactly. It's huge. And the more I learned about food, so my mantra became food is medicine, which is Mm -hmm. something so many people have heard. But I was like, okay, how can I apply this? Right? Because we've all heard it, you know, an apple a day, keeps the doctor away. But what is it? Like what what's the food 
doing. And I think that's where this whole concept to emerge to of functional foods. So it's not just the tasty burger and fries that we want, right? Now people want, you know, a gluten-free bun. They want to know where the meat came from, where the vegetables came from, where the potatoes came from for the fries, right? And what's the quality of the food? And that's the one thing that impressed me with Cabo was that it was human grade food. And the one thing I learned in this nutrition education that I was undergoing was that, you know, there's food gets channeled to different places, right? When it's processed, you know, even restaurants get like the better quality meats, the better vegetables and that than we find in the grocery store. Then there's all the stuff below that. Where was the stuff below that going? Right? Well, traditionally, a lot of it went to pet food. Like they could say, yeah, it had potatoes, it had carrots, it had beef. What was the quality of that food? Where did it come from? What was done to it. That was a huge education. And I'm not the only one. I think millions of people are reading about this now going, okay, you know, I don't want apples that were sitting on a truck for five days and then in a warehouse for another five days, like fresh is best. And so from looking at research literature, I found that it actually, it makes a huge difference and how it's cooked makes a difference too. If something's overcooked, then the nutrients are lost. So even if you eat it, the digestibility has changed in that food. So all the nutrients and vitamins, even the quality of the protein, it's not optimal. It's not the best. Moreover, there's been this huge discovery that there's soil that's depleted of nutrients. So that's where you have all this research coming out about vitamins and minerals that we're all lacking because it's not in the food anymore. So Mm -hmm. that was another thing. So vitamins and minerals are obviously very important. And I think we're finding the importance of them at a cellular level, more importantly than we've ever known. The subtle symptoms that people have and that animals have really, really stem from these deficiencies in food. And so having high quality food that's prepared optimally helps the digestibility of that food, which that gives you or gives a dog the optimum nutrients so that all the cells in the body are getting the right amount and the right quality of micronutrients and macronutrients. That's where I felt fresh really is best and cooking it. You know, if you, if you can't cook it, that's fine. Right. I know a lot of people want to do that, but it's, it's time consuming. It's hard to know how much it's a lot of work and a lot of education for the dog parent as well. Yes. And I think one thing I'll always want to say in the podcast is, you know, there's so many pressures on a dog parent to do a good job. And Mm -hmm. I understand where nutrition can definitely be a stressful piece, especially if you're doing it yourself. So it's great that you have options like Cabo to just have, you know, a team of experts doing the work for you so that it can feel as easy as opening that kibble drawer, but you know, is not consuming your time. I feed my dogs raw, but when my dog had his dental surgery, I was advised to, you know, put a pause on it and cook the food instead so he didn't get an infection. And oh my God, even, you know, raw takes a long time, I thought. Cooking your food is... (laughs) 
so much work. I was like, oh my God. They're twice as long now, right? Yeah. Yes. And him yeah. just standing there and staring at me, me waiting for the food to cool down. Oh my God. It was too much. Oh yeah, for sure. There's so many factors there too, right? Like that dog parents have to think about. Then you have to cook for yourself too. And sometimes that goes right? on the wayside if I spend too much time on my dog's food. I'm like, should I just get takeout for myself? <laughs> and I spent right, right. my dog. You know, I'm all about the science and the research and it's coming out. It's slow. It is slow, but I think more and more information is being tested in the right way to show that high quality food is best for our dogs. Let's talk about just the importance of a dog's nutrition overall. What does good nutritional base do for a dog in their lifespan, for their health, for their energy and all those different components? Yeah, great question. I think what we're finding now is that there's one ultimate thing that's really important and that's the gut microbiome. You hear about it all the time. What is it? Why is it important? What we've learned is that all the bacteria in the gut have a function to keep a body healthy, but what those bacteria are fed is going to determine how they help the body. So if you're not feeding healthy food, you have the wrong bacteria growing and then that can cause a lot of inflammation. We've grown leaps and bounds in understanding this. The inflammation can lead to osteoarthritis. It can lead to, you know, obviously inflammatory bowel disease or problems, you know, with GI upset, things like that, skin issues, like all these issues that are due to inflammation. So an immune response, inflammatory response, that's not appropriate for a normal body that can really, really be adjusted by good food. That's important because it's not just like if your dog has a genetic issue, like a developmental issues, like, you know, they have a malformed heart, Cushing's disease, some of these hormonal diseases that that are kind of in them, those things are still going to happen, right? Because people say, oh, you know, is food going to cure everything? No, I'm going to be honest, it won't. There's other diseases from other causes that will still happen. But what food can do is slow these other things down. So if you have a dog that's, let's say, prone to osteoarthritis because of their breed, if you can feed them a really good quality diet, help them have the healthiest microbiome in their gut, they're going to have less inflammation. So maybe what you've done done is slow down that progression of osteoarthritis that they might get later on versus if you were feeding the worst food that osteoarthritis might, might start earlier it's not curative i don't think anyone thinks it's curative it's not but it slows down right it's a better quality of life they feel better they can have energy you know living your best life just like us if we eat healthy we're living a better life you feel better you think better you run better you write better <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, it's all that. So it, it's like a quality of life. It's to help slow things down, slow those bad progressive diseases down. Um, and that's what it's doing for their overall nutrition. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Even, you know, again, comparing it to maybe a human condition, you know, our dogs can't tell us how they're feeling. Exactly. Um, yeah. So if I'm feeling especially bloated, like that's not the end of my, you know, that's not a huge life, you know, disease, but right. 
I'm uncomfortable. It like prevents me from eating or going out for a beer, like whatever. It just, it just like does impede my life. You know, what's a way for you to control that? Because unfortunately, as, as dog parents, we can only spot really when our dogs are getting to that really ill point where we can see a change in behavior. Yeah. So this is, you know, it's one more thing you can do for them because you're right. You can't, obviously you can see a dog scratching and they're itchy. It's just like us, right? Like sometimes if you use, let's say a shampoo or soap, that doesn't agree with your skin. You'll do a little scratch and you'll know that, okay, I shouldn't use that again. But with a dog, you might not see them scratching until they have a sore spot or a hot spot or something, right? Whereas it, yeah, it's hard to pick up the subtle cues. You know, that's the whole reason why we're trying to give them better overall health so that we avoid that. I'd love to talk about kibble, how kibble can potentially contribute to these issues and then other methods of food. So for example, obviously the fresh and the cooked, love to hear your perspective on raw as well. So it's a lot of our listeners talk about that. What like pros and cons kind of of each one? Uh, Let's start with kibble because the word kibble has so many negative connotations and I don't think that's fair. The way I describe it, it's like wine. There's you know, a Cabernet, and then there's a Cabernet, right? And we still call it a Cabernet. There's some really good ones, and there's some really bad ones. With kibble, I feel the same way. I have investigated and tried many different types of kibble. And I guess that name has stuck for any food that's dehydrated and extruded, you know, put into little pellets or little pieces. It's just all called kibble. But the reality is, you know, not all kibble is the same. So you have poorly made kibble and you have high quality kibble. So that that's one thing. And I know there's a lot of people out there who say just any kibble is bad. And I don't agree with that. There are some prescription diets for dogs that have very severe specific diseases and the best food they found is put into a kibble and that's what the dog needs and it can help. In that case, you know, that kibble is appropriate for that dog. So there's two things I say about kibble, the ingredients and how it's made, and then also how it actually helps the dog. You know, what what is it doing? I already told you about prescription diets, then regular kibble, right? So if you look at the mass-produced sort of low-quality kibbles and you look at the ingredients, you will see things, you know, like corn, peas, beef in it. But again, we're going back to the quality of that ingredient. Where did it come from? How was it cooked? How long does it stay on the shelf? Higher quality kibbles actually have a lower shelf life, right? They have less preservatives in them. The other bad ingredients and the things to look for are preservatives, artificial preservatives, fillers, right? And if you, you can go online and look up the word filler and you'll get all kinds of things. It's not good. Then you go up the scale on better kibbles and they use high grade quality chicken or beef or duck or something like that. It's pure muscle meat that's been dehydrated and extruded just means pushed out to form a pellet. It's good quality, very little preservatives. You know, they might add some minerals to it. So if a kibble is a good quality, it's going to cost more. It's really simple. You're paying for what you get with dog food. You really are. There's no way around it. You know, these higher quality ones will have less preservatives. They'll try and use natural preservatives. Like rosemary is actually a natural preservative. So they'll put a certain amount of rosemary in it to give it a longer shelf life. And certain kibbles actually need to be kept in the fridge for our, to, you know, increase their shelf life. You know, look at the label AFCO. I don't know if you've had anyone on talk about AFCO. No. Okay. It is the American Association 
Association of Feed Controllers, they set the standards in North America for the minimum requirements that dogs and cats need in terms of macro and micronutrients. And a lot of dog food companies send their recipes there and they'll get it tested and they get a guaranteed analysis back that says, you know, if they meet the requirements or if they're, you know, above or below and they'll give the readout. And then you usually see those readouts on the packaging. If a dog food doesn't have that, don't trust it. That, like that's the minimum requirement yeah. that we have. It's the best that we have right now, but it definitely will tell you, you know, this recipe is good for all life stages for a dog. Then, you know, they're getting enough calcium, phosphorus, you know, vitamin A, all the added minerals and micronutrients in addition to the macronutrients, the carbohydrates, proteins, and fats. There are really good kibbles out there. I've tried a lot of them. Most of them are dehydrated and cooked at low temperatures. That's what I'll say about kibble. That's great. I think, you know, at the end of the day, if your lifestyle does not accommodate other options, like just look at what kibble options are out there that could still benefit your dog. And there's still the added benefit, like obviously cost, like you were getting at. If you're traveling or yes. if your dog's staying with someone and you don't want to give them the hassle of portioning out, you know, yes. a wet meal, it's very convenient. I use my kibble as treats for my dog. So I don't buy a lot of treats and I just, you know, if they do something good, I just give them a piece of their kibble. I know what's in it. I know good for them. It does have a mechanical action on plaque on their teeth, right? Mm, a lot of yes. the hard substances. So having some kibble is, is good in that respect too. Dental hygiene. What do you think about canned food? Like the distributed canned food? Same thing. Quality ingredients. Look for, again, those AFCO standards. If they show where the meat came from, if you can find that out, that's great. If it says human grade quality ingredients, that's golden. Because the thing with human grade is that it has even higher testing standards in mm. terms of contamination, heavy metals, things like that. So it's prepared even more safely. That's a huge win. So again, the same principles apply to canned wet food. Let's move to raw and then we raw is, you know, obviously it's, it's had its two sides of the story <laughs> and there's people who love it and hate it. And I think there's a lot of people in the middle. I'm, I guess I'm in the middle. I'm like, if it works for you, you know, the potential risks of raw meat and you're very careful and your lifestyle is conducive to taking the extra time for cleaning, being aware of it, which many, many people are. And if it's working for your dog, I don't have a problem with it. Do you think for some people though, the hygiene is a problem? For example, you know, if I had clients who had young kids, you know, yeah. busy couple, the risk is too high there. So that's a situation where I'd say, okay, let's go for something cooked because I think there's just risk here. No one wants to deal with that. I think that's that's really important. So it's it's not for everybody, but it is for some. I've seen dogs do really, really well on raw. The pet parents were totally, you know, excellent at hygiene, keeping it safe. And I will say most people that I know that feed raw do bring in cooked or kibble here and there for yeah. these reasons, right? Like I said, there's a time and a place for these different types of foods. Like if they're traveling somewhere, going away somewhere, get some good quality high kibble for that trip and then do it. So that's my take on raw. I, I'm not against it. I think it has a, a place 
for certain families and dogs. Yeah. And I think honestly, the raw industry is growing as well. So I guess I would just add same thing, look into what these companies are putting together for your dog. I know there's so many different brands now. There's lots of like big mainstream brands that I've heard have very high fat content, for example. All right, let's get into the final piece, which is uh, cooked food. So I tried cooking for my dogs way back and I just didn't have the time. And I was like, I know I'm not the only one. So that's the big factor. We talked about that is that, you know, it's time. Then the second factor is probably always hear the term complete and balanced. Like if someone's cooking meat and potatoes for their dog, does it have all the right micronutrients for your dog? You don't know. And you can buy supplements, which is great, right? A lot of them are powdered. You know, they come with a scoop. It's measured to the weight of your dog. You can just add it in and that a good benefit. And that's a good option. They tend to be kind of expensive. So that's why I like a fresh dog food that has everything in it. The other thing is portions. I haven't even talked about portions, mm-hmm. right? Because that's kind of a, that's a different podcast, Pet Obesity, right? No one wants to talk talk about it because it's hard. We love our dogs. There are babies and they can just have one more treat. I do it too. I'm guilty of it. My corgi is a couple pounds overweight because the winter we didn't like catch as much and stuff. So I'm having to pull back on his portions. But if you're aware of this, that's the most important thing. A lot of people who cook don't know exactly how much. It's if there's a bit of guesswork in there. What I like about Cabo, they ask for the information. How big is your dog? How active is it? What breed is it? Is it neutered? To get an idea of the caloric intake, metabolic intake. So they use basically it's, it's a resting energy requirement. It's a calculation. And then they put a multiplier on it depending on the dog's breed and if they're intact and you know if they're obese or not. And they come up with this number and the portion. And then you get the exact portion of that cooked food to give to your dog every day. If you need to increase their portions because they're too skinny or you need to decrease it because they're overweight. Again, they use the calculator and then you get the right portion. And that to me is the beauty of it because portions is the huge thing. Like so many vets, you know, we can tell clients, you know, oh, just a cup of food, but you know, sometimes a cup is a little more, sometimes it's a little less, you know, but if you know the exact amount, if you're you know, really ambitious and have a weigh scale and you can weigh it out, that's even better. But having a cooked food that's complete and balanced, that has everything in it. Other thing is a lot of nutrients are absorbed better when they're cooked at low temperatures, especially proteins. And that's a big thing. Like meat, I can cook meat, but it comes out differently every time I cook it. Like if I make a roast, yeah, sometimes it's too red and other times it's just dry. I'm not good at cooking meat and protein. It's a scale. <laughs> um, just really variable. And so this way, you know, everything's cooked at the right temperature and they, they monitor it. It's measured and all that. A lot of the guesswork is taken out. Then you know that the nutrients are in the appropriate amounts and the appropriate form. The main um, thing about definitely the convenience of a Cabo is again, knowing the ingredients, tons of information on the website for those who want to dive in, figure out like how they pair their food and everything like that. So I think that's a really great resource. And there's, I just think it's a very well put together website. So let's get into our primary topic, which is allergies. Dog allergies are an extremely common situation. And in particular, in the rescue world, it is so common to have dogs come 
come from, you know, completely different countries and adapt to life here and notice all sorts of transitions with food introductions, with environment, with so many factors. So I do think this is a very important topic for anyone who has either a brand new rescue dog or an aging rescue dog who's just going through something new. Why do dogs develop allergies? Yeah, great question. Allergies are a topic that is, you know, it's a confusing disease, not going to candy coat it. It's not straightforward. Part of it is because there's many causes. When you think about allergies, you think, you know, people with seasonal allergies, dogs and cats with seasonal allergies. So there's stuff in our air. There's many new things in our environment that we haven't been exposed to. So that's one of the biggest causes. There's stuff in our food that we haven't been exposed to either. Like the food, you know, I want to say like an apple I eat today is not the same in terms of its chemical makeup as an apple I ate when I was five years old, mm-hmm. right? Again, it goes back to the soil, the environment, pesticides, everything's different. And I think so many bodies, human bodies, cat bodies, dog bodies are not used to these things. Our immune systems are basically, you know, the immune system is kind of like, I, it was described to me once in one of my degrees as if you think about an army. So there's these cells that are trying to guard everything. They come out once in a while. There's so there's some inflammatory cells that are surveillance cells. They're constantly circulating in the body to look out for bad things, right? More of these bad things come out, right? Pollens, chemicals in food, things like that. So more of your cells, the soldiers come out and they're going get away, right? And so that's your immune system. It's working, but it's actually starting to work in overdrive and not benefit your body. It's not in the normal balance. So you have itchy skin. You have, you know, hot spots in between the toes of a dog. It can cause diarrhea. Food allergies cause diarrhea or vomiting, you know, all these things. So unfortunately, I, you know, I wish I knew why exactly dogs develop it. But I think the why is, is that the immune system's getting so many of these uh, inputs that it hasn't been exposed to and it's fighting back and saying this isn't good for the body coming out soldiers are coming out fighting against it but what happens is it causes all this inflammation which isn't healthy and doesn't feel good and doesn't work well with the body really just to simplify it you know a normal immune response will be appropriate but what's happened now is we have these inappropriate immune responses just a question more for curiosity do dogs have the capacity to have severe allergies or like anaphylactic yeah they can yeah Mm -hmm. dogs can get anaphylactic reactions like humans not as common it's not always things like you know nuts or peanuts but they can have those reactions yeah well let's definitely talk about sources so like we kind of talked about now like with humans you know when you have a baby you are introduced to all these different allergens through a doctor to test out like making sure that your family's safe and that no allergies are developed what are common allergies with dogs so i don't know if it's the same yeah like you said for humans it's like nuts eggs right milk, dairy, all those type of things. What are very common factors with dogs? A lot of the allergies seem to be related to proteins. Mm. Chicken, turkey, beef. I've known dogs that are allergic to fish. 
So a lot of those things cause allergies and then grains would be next, you know, wheat, just like people have wheat intolerances and allergies, they can be allergic to wheat, you know, certain grains and things like that. And then there can be more specific micronutrients. For example, I've seen dogs that have been allergic to pea fiber and that's huge because pea fiber is actually used in a lot of dog food, yeah. right? And it's one of these nice non-animal sources of protein that, you know, more companies are looking into. It's a cheaper source of protein. It's a good source of protein. It's a good source of fiber. Some dogs have an allergy to these things. They can be allergic to potatoes. And it's it's very unique. You know, it depends on the dog. Just like you said, for humans, they need to be tested. You know, once there's a suspicion of something causing an allergy, you know, they should be tested to find out exactly what it is. That is not easy. I'm not going to lie. Doing diet restrictions to find trials to find out what it is. It's hard as heck. It totally is hard. There's a lot of good tests out there now. There's a saliva test. There's some blood tests. You know, different vets recommend different testing depending on what they feel has worked best. But yeah, I mean, it really, unfortunately, can be so many things. Definitely the most common ones are, are sources of protein and grains. Mm -hmm. And both are very common in kibbles. So that's definitely... Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, in the rescue world, I think a lot of our rescues will obviously mostly try and get donated food. However, right. don't know why, oh. but a lot of them tend to have sensitivities to chicken. Interesting. So allergies are tricky, you know, and they're becoming more common. It's bigger. And, you know, I talked about food. There's also seasonal allergies. Some dogs, yeah. they're allergic to pollens and different things in the air. That's more common now too. So that complicates it because sometimes you don't know if it's a seasonal or a food allergy and then you got to try and restrict everything, it can be a lot of work. In terms of being able to spot an allergy, we've mentioned a few different things. So diarrhea and hot spots. Are there any other signs? Yeah, I think dog parents are pretty perceptive of the behaviors and the subtle behaviors. I think one thing to look out for is if your dog's scratching, they're all going to scratch at some point for different reasons, not allergies. But if you see even a subtle change in the frequency of them itching and for how long if it's a food allergy how long after they ate their last meal are, are they scratching or after they had a treat you know like that's that's a big thing one of the biggest and easiest things you can do is to look for how often and how much are they scratching and has it and it sometimes it's subtle like the change takes weeks and you're like oh well yeah it's lots of fluff in the air like right now there's all those dandelion yeah. fluffs you know so you're like oh it's just something there or we were in the sand so he's just scratching the sand off of his skin but take note of that and that can be a big thing because you can catch it before hot spots begin mm -hmm. and hot spots are like not fun to deal with obviously vomiting and diarrhea or any gi upset that comes after eating that's a huge thing the other thing is our you know there's more ear infections sometimes mm. uh, that dogs have allergies in between their toes like the skin gets red you know in the areas of less fur you'll see you know redness starting or any type of rash so those are common things to keep an eye on and take note of especially if you've changed their food or if there's a change in season like 
Yeah, definitely lots to keep in mind. So maybe having a little notebook where you can keep track and record. Or, yeah, or even on your phone in the notes in your phone, just, you know, Wednesday, scratching a lot at 11 o'clock or something like that. Mm-hmm. An itching diary. An itchy diary. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about treatment solutions. You've worked with your vet team to identify an allergy. Is the next step to remove it completely from the diet? Is there a transition? And what options are there out there to feed your dog? There are so many. So if we start with, you know, medication, you know, I think you've heard of Apoquil. You know, I know so many dogs that are on that for, usually it's environmental, sometimes it's food, sometimes we don't know what, you know, the cause is. So, you know, you might have to use a medication. Then there's sort of one-off treatments if they have hot spots and stuff. Like I've seen dogs that, you know, they have to be bandaged. You know, you don't want them scraping at the paw. And usually it's the same area that they go back to between seasons when they get the allergies or scratching their ears. So, you know, I think it really boils down to keeping them with the healthy food and giving them supplements. Some people supplement fish oil. So fish oils, omega-3s are huge in quelling inflammation and keeping the immune system balanced. It also just helps naturally, as you can imagine, with oils and their hair coat and their skin. Putting omega-3s into their food, if you know there's not a lot of it in whatever food you're feeding them, is really, really big. Pro or prebiotics. So again, going back to the gut, right? It's like gut microbiome that ultimately helps the immune system. So making sure they have a good balance and right amount of pre and probiotics is to me, that's a a solution for, you know, allergies that are manageable. They're extreme, then obviously, you're going to have to go to heavier meds and things like that. But hopefully, you know, it won't get to that. And again, doing, you know, the elimination diets and things like that. And that's definitely you need a food diary for that. I I wouldn't remember what I fed my dog yesterday, right? Right. So (laughs) I would need a big diary for that. You know, treatments and solutions are so many, right? There's just so many things, just like there's so many causes for allergies. Cabo has these high quality ingredients and they have a new hypoallergenic salmon diet coming out, which I love. My dogs love it. Just opening it up and you smell it, you want to put it on a sandwich. It's like a salmon salad. It, you know, has blueberries, it has rosemary in it. You know, there's no grains in it. It's just a pure, um, high quality grade salmon that is very, very high in the omegas. And, you know, you need foods like that to really help. Um, Some dogs need to stay on those types of foods their whole life. Other dogs, it's just good to switch it up, like give it to them. If they're okay with beef, do that for a month and switch. You know, that's what I do with my dogs. I don't keep the same recipe all the time. I switch it up probably every maybe two or three months. I'll give them a different protein to make sure they're getting exposed to different proteins. So their immune system knows that. The hypoallergenic diet doesn't have to be for an allergic dog. It's good for any dog. Salmon is a very, very healthy food for dogs. It's a super food, right? It's considered a superfood. So giving that to your dog just to switch things up is really, really healthy for them too. Do you know how the salmon is prepared? I guess it's the same like low heat, low cooking. Yeah, it's low. It's cooked low. They actually leave bones in it. So the bones actually when they're cooked, you know, they soften up. You can see them in it so that they're still getting the calcium. Basically low, low temperature cooked. Blueberries in it too. So you have all these antioxidants in it. Honestly, like you can't get better ingredients than that 
that for helping with allergies. That's great. And like you said, the omegas. And if you wanted to add all those components you're saying, like, you know, you could give a prebiotic, I guess, like yes. a few hours before their meal time, right? Exactly. Like, yeah. I think I've done like, there's like those kefir milk mm-hmm. that you can yep. get for dogs. The probiotic also. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. If you're doing that, you're doing everything you can. And if the allergies are getting worse and you're doing all that, then you have to go see your vet and it's time for meds. Maybe we want to talk about what other proteins they have. Yeah, there's some other proteins. Well, if we go back to kibble, they have a duck protein kibble. So that one's, you know, if, if kibble's your thing, that's a really good protein to have because most dogs, again, I can never say all or a lot. It's most dogs have not had a lot of duck. So if you know, your dog is reactive to chicken or beef, that that's a good one to have. They also have a turkey and salmon kibble. So if you're looking for those omegas and you need those fats, because turkey has higher fat than chicken, that's a good one too. For the cooked recipes, there's, there's a lamb. A lamb one is also a nice one for dogs that have digestive issues because mm. it's a softer, easier digestible protein, kind of a novel protein. Not too many dogs have had lamb. So yeah, and I, I just think switching it up, switching the proteins up is actually really good for their immune system because that exposes the immune system to the, the little pieces of the proteins, the chemicals on them. They get to recognize it each time they have it. It's I really highly recommend people switch up the proteins every couple months, like two or three months, especially when they're young. Like if there is an allergy, you'll find out quite early and then you can know how to manage it as they age. But definitely in terms of thinking of allergies, the, the duck kibble and the lamb are really good ones to try. Other than diet, maybe either you can put on your dog mom hat or your vet <laughs> hat. What are other things dog parents can do to help our dogs live a fulfilled life? Absolutely. You know what? It's really, really simple. Calories in equals calories out. Exercise. And that doesn't always mean the long one hour walk, right? Like we live here in the GTA. We have some really cold days or super wet rainy days. I don't feel like going out. Do stuff inside. You know, my smaller dog, she's a Morky. We just do this thing going running up and down the stairs. Go running up and down the stairs. You know, make it fun. Just be with your dog and don't worry about all the stuff. They were meant to run and jump. Like that's most of them, whatever breed they are, some form of running and jumping, twirling around. That's their purpose, right? Like whatever working dog, you know, a German shepherd was meant to jump over things. And that's, that's what can really help them. And they also need the mental stimulation, right? And that's where I use a lot of toy puzzles or food puzzles. You know, you put pieces of food in them. Sometimes I give them their meal that way. It's kind of messy, but they need that. They really need that. And that's good for their behavior and to avoid bad behaviors, especially if you have any super high energy herding dog, i.e. my corgi, who is a small dog, but he's actually a big dog. (laughs) He needs constant mental stimulation. Physical and the mental are really important. I think too, we're finding out more about the emotions dogs have, and they need to be stimulated. As we speak to, you're talking about mess, like I have so much fluff all over my living room right now because toys are being ripped apart, beds are being ripped apart. Yeah, yeah, it's fun. It's just fun. Dogs are just fun. They're love, right? Love yeah. them. Like the basic bottom line is love them. Give them the best life like yeah. you, you can give them. 
Yeah, exactly. And spend yeah. time with them. Like you said, be with them when they're doing their mental enrichment or their exercise. Yeah, okay. yeah exactly. I know every time yeah. on my phone, my dog is like, don't put that away. Right. <laughs> exactly. They know you're like not paying attention to them. Thank you, Dr. Susie, for joining me on the Rescue Dog Love podcast. And thank you for Cabo for introducing us and making this possible. Where can people learn more about Cabo? And let me know if there's also anything else like you have. Thank Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. It's lovely talking to people who are involved with dog rescues. Um, I just totally, totally think you are angels for doing this. It's just lovely. And people who have uh, rescue dogs, they need all the support they can get. So something um, like this podcast is fabulous for them. So I really appreciate being on it. If you go to cabo.co, you can learn all about the recipes. It's a subscription dog food delivery service. So everything's delivered right to your door. You can pick the amount of food you want. So it doesn't have to be 100% Cabo. You can do a topper plan. You can do 50% plan. You can mix it up with their kibbles. They have these high quality ingredient kibbles. Uh, You can mix it up. They sell dog treats. Again, high quality, locally made treats as well that come out for different seasons. They do a lot of events online. They do Instagram lives to do uh, information sessions. They have veterinarian and vet techs to help. I think that's really, really the value is that you're not just getting a box, you're getting a service to help you guide your dog live their best life throughout all of their life. Uh, For myself, uh, I have a website, drsusie.com. I have an Instagram handle again at drsusie. And I just like to give educational advice on all things about dogs and food and disease. And people can email me any questions they have. I always love to say, I'm like, a great thing about my podcast is literally every guest on it loves to answer questions. So I'm always (laughs) like, now you have an amazing list of just people that you can reach out to for any topic. So I'm yeah, you're now part amazing. of that family. You're part of uh, the group. Great. I definitely encourage you guys to follow Cabo at Cabo Foods on Instagram and Dr. Susie as well. Everything will be in the show notes. Thank you for joining me. This was such an interesting conversation and I think will be really, really helpful for a lot of our dog parents. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Thank you, Cabo, for sponsoring today's episode. Cabo is a dog food subscription service that delivers healthy, pre-proportioned meals right to your door. From kibble to freshly cooked food, visit cabo.co for more information. That's K-A-B-O dot C-O. Until the end of this month, June 2022, use code SALMON, S-A-L-M-O-N, for 60% off your first box. Rescue Dog Love is a project by Yamini Cohen, inspired by her rescue dog boss, who you can find on Instagram with his doggy sibling Queenie at Queenie and Boss. To keep up with the Rescue Dog Love podcast, you can follow us at rescuedoglove.com or at rescuedoglovepod on Instagram. See you next time.